Hello, Secret Keepers. Today, we are going to let you in on the mother of all secrets, the lore of X, Seekers of Fortune, so far. Emmy was curious about it, so I am going to go on record and answer her questions about why Jericho Stone is so handsome and why he is so cool. That and so much more in today's episode of the Megamoth Studios Super Secret Podcast. Don't tell anybody about our lore. Welcome back to the show, Secret Keepers. I'm your host, interpretive dance savant, Joel Watts. Joined today by... Emmy. Not Danny. <laughs> Emmy. Correct. Emmy is going to be joining us. Danny, Danny. Yes, by at least a few letters but not syllable count. No. No. Yeah, Danny's <laughs> taking the day off today and giving or letting Emmy sit in as the co-host for the episode, and I'm really excited to have her here. Emmy, how's your day been so far? Oh, it's it's been a day. Um, it's over 10 degrees Fahrenheit right now, which is a good day in my opinion. Man, and I'm sitting here in Austin, Texas, get me being like, "Oh, it's 25 degrees. Oh, I, I can't go outside." <laughs> like the, the roads have been so clear. I, you know, as as longtime listeners to the pod know, I am on the road for my day job, a lot. And people just when Texas gets down below 30 degrees, people don't go outside. They just they bundle up. They find any excuse in the world to stay home. Well, you guys don't have the infrastructure, so I totally get it. <laughs> That's true. Uh, fortunately, this has been quite the dry, uh, the dry cold. The only negative for mm. me is my lips are quite chapped right now, but there's no ice. There's like not really any ice on the roads or snow in oh, the air. Oh, that's good. Yeah. How's how's good. it been where you're at in terms of snow and ice? It snowed really, really hard. Um, what was it? Sunday morning into Monday night, I think. Um, and then it's just been like salt and snow and it's been freezing freaking cold like all week. Yeah. So no well, good. That's yeah. Uh, and I'm assuming you've been staying in most of that time. Most of the time. Yes. Ravnica remastered come out. So Open lots of packs ah. and super excited for those murders at Karlov Manor spoilers that are trickling through. Yeah, Danny just sent me a few and I was, um, I'll say I had mixed opinions about the way the cards looked because they were like, I guess the case file legendary creatures. Yeah, the case file. I don't know if I love it. It just looks like a white card like when danny sent it to me i was like yeah. okay so all these cards are white that's the first thing i said mm -hmm. and, they and it took like me like play test copies that they put in those mm -hmm. mystery boosters yeah it's Not like i feel like they had something well i feel like they had something here they had a potential but i think they needed to maintain the the color border for the cards because that's very mm -hmm. important to uh, the readability of a card Oh, absolutely. If they ever go back to a white border, I just think the whole magic audience, maybe there's like one sick, twisted individual who's going to be like, yeah, white border cards, but the rest of the world, not so much. 
Oh yeah, yeah. The the outer outer border should always be black. But I mean like the the color identifying border, you know, between the black border and the card text, oh. I guess. The card Yeah. No, don't make that yeah. white. Yeah, that's exactly. So it's like I know. That's like it's it's there's going to probably be confusion, especially if there's spells that target white creatures. Or oh the the reverse, like if there's spells that target like any other color creatures, and they those creatures um, fly under the radar because at a glance you think they're white creatures. All right, Emmy. So you have a lot of questions about lore for me today, but you know I have a question. I have a question for you before we get into it. The question of the week. This week, you know. Because we're talking about the lore of X Seekers of Fortune, I thought we would talk about the lore of another game, and that game is Magic the Gathering. And I thought I'd ask you, just to get an idea of like where your tastes are at, what is your favorite Magic the Gathering plane? My favorite Magic the Gathering plane is Lorwyn. Lorwyn mm -hmm. is a super cool world based on a lot of British Isles and Celtic mythology. It um, has this really cool identity with its main art style. Um, the artist just has this super unique point of view and made it just so creepy and so cool. You know, as a teenage edgelord, I was just so into it. I loved it. Um, a lot of some of the themes in the Lorwyn set kind of deal with kind of like the racial superiority of certain factions, which is a bit unsavory for maybe today's modern magic audience. And it's something that, you know, definitely did not appeal to me the first time around. Um, and with in the today's context is just an absolute no go. But I just mm -hmm. absolutely loved Lorwyn, and it was awesome. Well, that makes complete sense. I mean, the artwork on Lorwyn was, like, it brought me back into the game. That was one of those sets that I was seeing people play it around the tables, and uh, that's around the time that I got Danny into the game. But I was very happy to jump in with uh, the artwork of that set. Now, um, and also, you know, you're, you're much more up on your lore knowledge. I didn't know there was... A racial superiority thing going on in the Lorwyn mm -hmm. set, so that's news to me. Uh, and but it does kind of explain why Magic might be have been or Wizards might have been shy about going back to Lorwyn. Did they yeah. they have been back or they're planning on going back? They are planning on going back sometime. I think in the next two years. Okay, cool, cool. Well, I hope they do. I hope they knock it out of the park with the artwork again because that artist did such a beautiful job and you know i guess there's like kind of two there's probably more at this point but i always think of the two kind of fairy tale worlds of magic as being you know uh what is it called innistrad and Lorwyn. Mm -hmm. yeah um, was and there also eldermore eldrain eldrain okay eldrain mm -hmm. yeah eldrain like going down the drain mm-hmm <laughs> yeah um, say no more um yeah i mean it's like that it's funny how they can they do such a good job of getting the different feels of the of the fairy tales though because like i know innistrad isn't completely fairy tale land but it it kind of lines up with like the grim you know inter you know the grim fairy tales kind of way of 
I, I imagine the Hansel and Gretel being in Innistrad. Oh, absolutely. Yes. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So what is so, your favorite plane, Joel? Well, um, I kind of consider myself a little bit basic for choosing this, but I just love myself some, you know, down the down the middle line drive fantasy. Uh, so my favorite plane is Dominaria. It's like all the fantasy tropes of magic of, of, of other fantasy worlds, but with the magic, the gatherings, like slight personality put on top of it. So um, being an old school magic fan, it was always like my favorite, you know, it was the only plane I knew for a long time. So that would be my my answer. Ever dreamed of embarking on legendary quest, unlocking hidden secrets, and discovering untold riches? Dive into the world of X Seekers of Fortune. It's the game that's soon to be taking the internet by storm. Sign up today at xseekersoffortune.com and start your journey to greatness. Remember, fortune favors the bold. See you there. So we know our favorite planes now in Magic the Gathering. Maybe we should talk about the plane that X Seekers of Fortune takes place on, or the world. Um, Emmy, you said that you wanted to kind of, you know, fill out your understanding of what we've cooked up so far. So why don't I go ahead and give you the hot seat. You are now the host of the show and you are asking me the questions. All right. I am the Tyra Banks of the Mega Ball Super Secret Podcast. Let's go. <laughs> I, I hope <laughs> just if I remember my Tyra Banks facts correctly, just don't berate me. <laughs> oh, no, no, no. We won't be doing any of that today. <laughs> Tyra okay. Banks, the talk show, not Tyra Banks, the host of the modeling reality television show. I got All you. All right. Let's start at the very beginning. So in a, when I dive into the lore of any place, I think one of the most important things for me to learn is what is the difference between the world of X-Seekers of Fortune compared to the world that we live in. Yeah, I think that's, a, you know, that is a great question because there is a lot that is very similar to the world we live in. You know, we're not talking about a place where, you know, the, the physics don't exist or, you know, um, uh, sand is made out of rubber or something like that. We're talking about like, you know, like a lot of fantasy worlds it looks a lot like your world. You know, uh, people would say that um, Middle Earth looks a lot like, you know, fan, uh, the Middle Ages uh, here on Earth, uh, mixed in with a few different cultures. So I think the first and foremost thing to know is that, you know, it is a fantasy, it is a fantasy world in that sense, that there's more that you recognize than not. Um, now, the world of Ex-Seekers of Fortune, we have named Taish, and we named Taish uh, we named the world Taish to be named after the Greek goddess of chance, um, who was also named Fortuna by the Romans. So, I, you know, it's like Exegus of Fortune, Fortuna. Well, what's one step away from that? The Greek name. Um, and this is a world, I would say that this is a world where it is very prosperous to be an adventurer, at least, you know, to, still, it is very prosperous to go out onto the frontiers and to find secrets and, you know, ancient civilizations, you know, have treasures buried. Very much um, a world where, you know, uh, yeah, like adventure is out there, if you will. Um, and like I said, like 
relating it to Middle Earth and the work that Tolkien did or, uh, you know, Westeros and what George R. R. Martin did. Um, this is a world that is inspired by our world. There's going to be uh, moments of history, fashion, you know, trends that you, you will recognize as being very similar to our world of Earth, just remixed and redone in different ways. You know, uh, the similar cultures, maybe similar religions. Um, but at the end of the day, that's what I think fantasy is, is it's sort of like this, like, you know, remixed dream of reality uh, with just a few heightened elements that we can get more into the heightened details. Um, but unlike, you know, the world of West Westeros, the world of Middle Earth, we decided to set our fantasy world in a different time period. Um, we thought that the 1930s and 40s adventure serial was ripe for becoming the next like era of fantasy because it has all these magical elements that people are in search of so they have to like really work to find them but when they find them they are very powerful so you know the idea of like the the magic of middle earth has kind of been lost and forgotten but now people are finding it again by digging into the world and, you know, going into those dark caves. I think, um, you know, it just sounds right. It just sounds appropriate for the hero's journey. Absolutely. Well, one of the very first things that Danny and I believe yourself told me when I was kind of hounding you and asking for more lore beats is that yeah. there are monkeys in this world and that they have jobs and i just i love that main difference between this world and taish so tell me more about the monkeys and the types of jobs that they yeah no <laughs> i'm really glad that you glued onto that because it was one of those early that was one of those early um ideas that i think danny brought to me that it was like well that would be enough to as i said elevate this world into a, being a fantasy world i don't know I, I i believe we're both millennials we both grew up with uh for example aladdin with apu we grew up with uh uh friends with uh what was the name of the monkey and friends i've heard well i've never seen friends good for you <laughs> we grew up with but we but we did grow up with dunstan checks in there was this mm -hmm. idea you know, because people love monkeys so much, because they're so special, and we actually can kind of see ourselves in them. There was this idea that we grew up with that monkeys would become commonplace, or they would be, you know, I don't know. I was ex I was expecting a world where I would have interacted with monkeys in my adult life, like whether whether as pets or you know, um, so, you know, some elevated zoo uh, experience where you actually could you know walk and talk or you know walk around with the monkeys. And, and that we haven't had any of that. There was a false promise. Um, so I just think that Danny and I just really glued onto the idea of like, people love monkeys. We love monkeys. Let's go ahead and make monkeys like our companion creature in this world. So uh, the way I look at it, the way I think of it is the monkeys in uh, Taish, you know, grow bonds with uh, humans, much like, you know, dogs and cats are here in our world. So they would grow a bond with a human, but unlike dogs and cats, monkeys have like opposable thumbs. And, you know, in our world, they're not, they're even smarter than they are here on earth. So they actually can be companions somewhere like more than a pet, 
and think Chewbacca and Han Solo. You know, they they could be your companion creature. They don't speak English, but they can. A lot of the more intelligent ones can sign language, and even if they can't fluently sign language, they at least build a communication with their favorite humans that uh, you know using shorthands and things like that. Oh, I love that. That's so cute. Yes, we were promised more monkeys. We were promised a more stable economy. Uh, we were promised good jobs and four-year degrees. And ugh, give us monkeys and give us economic stability. I get it. <laughs> Amen, sister. <laughs> we just, we just, you know, what else are we to do but revel in the fantasies of our youth? Exactly. Nothing but that. All right, so we know that we have these unique companionships with monkeys, but let's explore our identity as a seeker of fortune a little bit more. In, mm -hmm. for example, the game of Magic the Gathering, you're playing as a planeswalker who is a magical being that can walk across planes of existence, use mana to cast spells, and summon creatures to battle against other planeswalkers. Tell me a little bit about the character and role you take on while playing X and what you are trying to achieve by winning the game. Yeah, no, that's a great question. Um, and I think that the thing that Danny and I really were, um, I don't know, focusing in on what we really loved about Magic the Gathering is when you sit down to play Magic, you are the wizard. They're not telling you, like, even when you have a character that is like your signature character in your deck with the commander system, they still aren't saying that you are that character. They're saying that's your commander. That's like your most important soldier in your battalion. You are still the general. You are still the the head wizard. So it's like you get to sit down and imagine yourself like, you know, your, your hair grows out and it's all white and you get a beard. You know, you get to sit down in the chair and become the wizard. And in our game, we wanted to have that same thing. When you sit down, you become yourself as the fortune seeker. You put on the hat, you, you crack that whip, you, you know, put the satchel over your shoulder and you pull out the map and you have a mission, but it's still you, you are the character and whoever sits down to play this game, they are putting themselves in the hot seat of adventure. Um, now, when it comes to what your goal is and what your objective is, is X Seekers of Fortune is a race. You versus a rival, this person sitting across from you. And you're racing to be the first people to make a discovery. And that discovery is going to change from setting to setting, from story to story. Here in the first set, you're trying to discover the lost civilization of the Arakai. You are looking for them, and so is your rival. And you're trying to you know, get ahead of your rival, whether that's by you know, sprinting yourself or by tripping them up um to make them fall behind but that is what you're out there looking for and it's going to change you know uh we do have plans for other settings and we can talk more about that later but you know the the having a core like this is what your players are searching for um is i think key to making the set feel like you're taking part in the story um now while you're and also while you're not a planeswalker and you can't just walk between you know all these different worlds, you don't know where your adventure is going to take you. So you might end up in a very different place or time than you started. Oh, well, I um, like that. Mm -hmm. And, you know, ultimately, yeah, I mean, 
just you wait just you wait until we actually can tell you the whole story once we sit down and write it all out you'll i think you're going to be excited mm -hmm. as to where it goes um but yeah i think that we there's a lot of different facets to taish this is just one this first adventure is just taking place probably in one you know 50 or so miles spread of the world and there's going to be so much more world to show you right no that's awesome um, yeah. So, you know, because this takes place on this world of Taish, um, who are our primary players on this world of Taish and what is it that they are good at? Yeah. So, you know, this was a definitely a, a push and pull between Danny and myself about like how much should we, you know, keep featuring the same characters over and over again. Uh, on the cards and uh, we kind of like really did settle into each card be you know nearly every card is a beat in the story that we're telling so we have if you look at the cards you're going to see consistent characters across many cards sometimes you might not recognize it because you're going to be looking at the hands of characters uh, you know holding objects but we would really think that if you're at home and you want to lay out the story to X Seekers of Fortune, you could just take all the cards and put them in the order that you think they go in and tell yourself the story that weaves it all together. Um, and we'll see how right you are versus what Danny and I cook up. And we do hope to bring those characters to life in a comic book down the line. But the characters that you're going to see across the cards, there's, there's four of them. And we wanted to go with four because in our game, there's four main lead identities. Um, there's Vision, Myth, Ruin, and Glyph. So we have, for Vision, we have the character of Ana Lucia. And Ana Lucia is a, uh, she was a student studying under a master cartographer. Um, but after her mentor is murdered, she is left with one cryptic clue to try to complete his life's mission. And that clue is a scrap of a map with a red X on it. So this sends her across the world in search for uh, where this X is and what lies there. Now, she's primarily an academic, and this is her first rodeo. Literally, this is her first rodeo. So oh, yeah. she's the greenest of the cast, which means that she's trying to do things by the book, at least the book as she knows it to be written. But as her adventure unfolds and as she gains experience alongside the other characters, she's going to learn to trust her intuition and her instincts. And it's just going to be a blast watching. Uh, you're going to be there with Ana Lucia. She's your, she's the character that you're walking in the shoes of when you're whenever you sit down to read her story. So you're going to be learning what she's good at at the same time that she's learning what she's good at. But oh, I love we do that. need somebody. Oh, sorry. yeah, thank you. We do need somebody who's uh, you know kind of on the competent side, you know, to help guide her on her mission. Uh, I think in today's world, they would be called handlers, the kind of people who uh, rich people ha uh, hire to, you know, make sure they're safe when they go on, you know, uh, more dangerous, go to more dangerous parts of the world. And that would be our rune character, Jericho Stone. The, the coolest. Uh, now, Jericho is your classic adventurer trope. Um, you know, he's your, you know, you think Nathan Drake, you think, Indiana Jones, you think uh, Brendan Fraser from The Mummy? Uh, he's in. He's like in league with those guys. He would be sitting down and exchanging war stories with them at the bar. Um, but you know, he's you know he has he has his degree in archaeology, but he might have gotten it on the back of a uh, you know 
an athletic scholarship, that kind of guy. Okay. It's a little bit, a little bit of a himbo. He's just, just a Mm. little bit, but you know, every now and then you need, you need the bronze, the brawn. And he's, he's here to deliver that. Now, Jericho, Ana Lucia is going to meet Jericho at a time when he's a little bit in the dumps because he was, uh, he was himself on the search for the Arakai or, or he was on the search for, you know, ancient treasures. And he came across a promising find that might have led him to the Arakai. But because of its location, it was under the domain of one Horace Hunger or Hanger, Horace Hanger, who's this scree- greedy Scrooge-like uh, taskmaster of a, a miner who's out there running another dig site that sort of overlapped with what it, uh, Jericho's discovery. And because of that, he got to claim that dig site. So Jericho is a little bit of a man without a mission when he starts the story. Uh, maybe he's found himself at the bottom of a tall glass of beer or two. And, um, you know, uh, he's not necessarily going to be in the mood to jump right into some half-brained uh, you know, mission that involves a scrap of a map with no indication of how to get there. You right. Know, like any good, like right. like any good hero, he has his doubts. That's good. Mm. That's probably healthy. So those are the first two, which leads us to the the final person of the trio of heroes that we're going to be following, and her name is Akaya. and Akaya is the myth character, and she's she's kind of a myth in this world in this city that they live in or that they start their journey in and everybody meets up she is like the uh well she's aladdin uh in a lot of ways she's our, our take on aladdin she's a a street thief who is very clever very capable and very very young so she's also a little bit on the she's naive but in the other way than aladdin aladdin had all the hope in the world that everything was going to get better you know singing to the sky and akaya is a little bit more jaded but in that way that uh is like jaded because all she's seen is bad and she's too young to have experienced joy so she has so she's very she's very connected she is very capable of executing a plan of being sneaky uh, defending herself even she's she's probably like the uh, other side of the coin to Jericho where Jericho is like you know loud and brash and upfront well you know you know very, kind of what you see is what you get versus Akaya's you know operating in the shadows and is way way more capable than you'd ever expect and uh, talking about monkey companions she has a companionship with one Oko the monkey. And Oko and her are basically always making plans around the uh, Ruckus Bazaar where all the characters meet. They Those two work together in order to, you know, uh, steal their bread, you know, st- steal the, the, the relics that have, uh, the mysterious relics that have been coming in from the uh, deep desert. And they find some that are underguarded and take them and, you know, earn their money and, you know, get enough money to... Uh, eat and find a place to sleep so oko and akaya those are the like the kind of the last two of the heroes which i should say leads us to our villain do you want to hear about our villain yeah let's talk about the villain (laughs) okay well we're going to have a few you know 
there's going to be a few antagonists in our our character's way, but we had one primary antagonist, and we decided, you know, three of the lead identities would be heroes, all in opposition to the one other lead identity who is the villain, and that is Glyph, and the Glyph character is named the Broker. The Broker... Danny's going to probably be, I have a feeling I'm going to say too much. Danny's probably going to listen to this podcast and come back to me being like, you told him way too much about the broker. So <laughs> okay. I'll try to keep it, I'll try to keep it down, but he's, he's a man in a metal mask. He wears red and he dresses outside of time. He dresses like a noble of like, you know, the Renaissance era, not like a man of this, this generation. But the broker tries to operate in the he's he often operates in the shadows much like akaya he's more myth than he is uh man at this point and he comes to collect the broker likes to make deals with people when they're youthful and and inspired and they have no concept of what of what value really is and then he comes to collect on them when they are old older and and run down and ripe for the picking and he, he deals in artifacts and he deals in relics but his ultimate goal is to find the lost civilization of the Arakai, because he has it in himself the idea that not only can he resurrect the civilization but he could use them to rewrite all of history Ooh. okay that brings mm. us to kind of a hard-hitting question yes let's talk about the use of magic in the world of taish okay let's talk about magic and supernatural abilities so every lore every world building system has a system of magic which can either be classified as hard magic or soft magic hard magic comes from a clearly defined source and requires, for example, specific runes, spells, or incantations for a user of magic to complete their magical actions, such as many animes or, for example, the Wheel of Time series. In soft mm -hmm. magic, it's not clearly explained where the source of the magic comes from. A magical character can cast spells, complete magical abilities, but we don't really understand why or how. We can just kind of wave our hands and say, they're magic, and it's magic, such as the magic that Gandalf uses in Lord of the Rings, or the magic that is described in the Chronicles of Narnia. Would you say that the world of Taish is a soft magic, or a hard magic system, or something of a hybrid? Um... I'm glad you. Uh, <laughs> I'm glad you included the hybrid because I've. I, I almost want to present the magic system as we understand it, and maybe you can answer. Uh, you know, like kind of classify it. I have a feeling it's going to fall in hybrid, but I will say this. Um, you know, a quote that Danny and I both really enjoy is from Isaac Asimov, and a lot of people will recognize this one. But you know, the quote is: "Any sufficiently advanced technology is indistinguishable from magic." So, I will say that. Danny is very much pushing for the idea that this isn't magic. There are rules to it. It's there's it's like a scientific natural phenomenon that humans the the humans of our our, our world or the beings of our world have uh, observed and you know when and utilized 
through trial and error. Um, so we kind of think of it as a, it's a hard magic system, but we're not probably ever going to or rarely going to stop for the characters to ask the questions. Oh, how is this happening? Why is this happening? What makes this happen? They're not going to, they're probably not going to be stopping and observing. Like we're not telling the story of like scientists. We're telling the story of adventurers. So we might be a bit of a eating our cake and having it too, where it's like, yeah, you know, if we wanted to release us a, a book that just tells you exactly how the magic works, Danny and I could totally write that, but we're not going, we're not going to sit back and like explain our magic system um, thoroughly. I don't think. And, you know what is seen of as magic in this time period in this this story um we you know if we were to tell a, a story that takes place a few hundred years later that's more scientific or sci-fi theme then what was magic will then just be the fuel for the technology that they're using so i guess that's more or less the answer what do you think that makes it <laughs> I think it makes it more of a soft magic system because okay. there's these sort of supernatural phenomenon that are occurring. However, um, it's more like, okay, here's something that we can't explain and this is what's happening, but it's not like, oh, I have to say this spell or use this device in order to use magic. People who use magic just use magic and mm -hmm. maybe in this world what we would go okay that's special that's different that's magical they'd be like yeah that's just what happens on Taish mm -hmm. is that kind of more yeah. what's going on here um a little I would say well once we get like you know the actual scenes written maybe we'll be able to hash it out a little bit more but it definitely isn't like wave a wand cast you know say the words cast a spell yeah. it's more of like it's not like yeah. we have spell slots and now i'm going to cast fireball and roll for that no yeah definitely not okay. like that you know so in on fact, the softer like a, side of magic yeah if we were to yeah i guess so I, if we were to take all the so what would be most like a sorcery in dungeons or not dungeon dragons magic the gathering uh would be our feats you know, and you've played the game. How many of the feats are just a character going above and beyond with their natural physical abilities versus actually kind of reading as a magical thing? Like, you know, I would say probably, you know, maybe one in three feel magical and the others are just, you know, kind of like, you know, physical. Like I said, uh, yeah, you know, being quick, being witted, being faster or stronger. You know those sorts of things so um i guess i guess if 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 the rest of the world would classify our system as soft magic we'll, we'll have to go with that and it definitely is much more like i said natural phenomenons uh very few people actually would be able to cast spells and you know and when they do get up to the point where they're casting spells it would be you know um, probably a lot more hand wavy like gandalf casting a spell than it would be uh you know like I don't know what like the character from the Dungeons and Dragons movie casting a spell. What was that uh, sorcerer's name? Do you remember? Oh gosh, I Did don't see remember. The I know there's Acerac, the sorcerer in Dungeons and Dragons, but um, honestly, if you ask me what happened in the Dungeons and Dragons movie, uh, I don't know. Chris Pine danced around a lot. <laughs> That's kind of what I <laughs> gathered from it. <laughs> I. I... 
just I, my I, my memory of the movie is uh, Michelle Rodriguez having a conversation with a very tiny Bradley Cooper and it being adorable. Oh, that and, was very cute. Yeah, and and kind of like really close to home for me. So <laughs> probably the less said about that, the better. Um, but yeah, I hope that I hope that answers about the magic as far as we can as far as we can say about it. Excellent. Yeah. All right, let's shift gears slightly. Um, mm -hmm. There are a couple of cards that mention the Eri Kai, which in broad strokes I know is an ancient civilization on Taish that has been lost to time. Can you tell me what happened to the Eri Kai? <sighs> well, okay, so we're still... We're not ready to say every, you know, give you everything that happened or, you know, the nature of the catastrophe that put it into the Arakai. Um, but I will say that the irradiated crater is a result of that catastrophe. So if you were to look at that card, you get a sense of maybe just how much damage they did to themselves utilizing the wild magics of the world, maybe um, dipping their hand into the honey jar a little too deep. Okay. I think that's enough for me to kind of, you know, as you said, lay out the cards and tell myself the story. Um, I think I can kind of interpolate what is going on. Um, I actually cast a radiated crater to great effect in a, in a that yeah. Sorry. Night. We just had our first uh first round of our uh tournament um our our, our uh, league last night and you got to play against uh andy and i i mean honestly so andy had uh the excavators pick and play not to go, to go total play by play but he got to choose between two action x cards to give you and we were, and danny and i were just like why did he just give her a radiated crater that is like the crater. best card right now because you could annihilate all of his adventures he had three adventures you got to wipe his board basically a great wrath of god effect and you know gain your own adventure i i we that was a great play we were really excited that you followed great through great play but unfortunately mm -hmm. it did not get rid of the relics in play and andy was able to leverage that eventually into a breakthrough win and that yeah. was but it was a very very tight game i will say that. it was yeah, we we've, we we really turned, you know, that was like one of those moments where it went from being Andy in favor to you in favor. So it had that tug of war, which we love. Like, we love the rivalry that happens with, you know, these games of X Seekers of Fortune because it's anybody's game. Oh, my gosh. And that was my next question. So the oh. mechanics of the game, as we are our adventure Sona, um, that's what I'm calling it now because we're all going to be adventure cosplaying. Sona playing this game yes not like our persona <laughs> oh gosh um it's it's gonna involve my cool rock hammer uh, oh yeah oh yeah so the mechanics of this game as we talked about our magical system it's not necessarily magical abilities that the feats and heroic actions center around it's more like themes of rivalry we're poaching, we're thwarting, we're sabotaging. Mm -hmm. So how does mm -hmm. this theme of rivalry integrate into the story? That's a very good question. I mean, I think that at the core of every 
X Seekers of Fortune story and set, there is going to be a core rivalry. Um, and, you know, that's just a great way of handling antagonism because you, in, in searching for something out there, you know, um, that somebody else is going for, like this moment that you know that there's a golden bar at the end of your block, but you find out that somebody else just, you know, like imagine you got a text message and it was just like, there's a golden bar at the end of your block, but your neighbor knows too. They also got this text message. You instantly become rivals with that person. So I just think that in treasure hunting, if more than one person is going after a treasure, then they instantly put themselves at, in, in a space of rivalry with each other. So for us, it just kind of made sense as being the main way that um, you would interact. And, you know, combat, like Magic the Gathering, that's a zero-sum game, but so is a race. A race to the prize is a zero-sum game most of the time. There's only one person who can claim the glory, or one team maybe, um, and the anybody else who doesn't make it, they're left out in the dust. So I guess that, you know, the idea of being in competition with somebody you know, just seems like a rivalry. And it, once we started using the term when we were developing the game, it just felt right. Like we started putting on the cards that we were designing instead of like opponent or player, we put rival. And I think it just really set the scene for like, you know, for the game just there in the language. It started that like our, our game's flavor started coming out of the language back in the day when it was just black and white, you know, black text on white cards with a clip art. So, mm -hmm. yeah. Oh, I love that. Okay. Yeah, you know, in most games, you've got to generate a conflict in order for there to be gameplay. And I do like that this isn't necessarily like endless galactic war, like in Warhammer 40k. I do oh, like yeah. the idea of like a battle of wits and like a race to the finish. I, I just, mm -hmm. it's good flavor. Yeah, and we we also, you know, we didn't want there to be like a death mechanic or should I say death mechanic? We don't want it to be like, Oh, I can turn around and kill my, my, my rival. So, you know, we wanted it to be like, everything you do is just throwing a monkey wrench at them. You sabotage, you know, you sabotage their accomplishments. You thwart their, you know, uh, their plans, you know, you poach their resources. Seemed... I completely agree. There's no life totals. Um, I know for a fact, you know, my very crunchy parents don't want to play a game that's like about conflict and violence like that. And, you know, they're from that like peace and love generation. And I think <laughs> this is just so much more like accessible to them. So, yeah, you know, there's totally uh, that, that. Uh, that comment actually reminded me and I, you know, I want to put it, I want to put us on has it put us on blast? I don't know. I want to put the the fire under our butts on this one because I think your parents and many people out there would be excited to know that we also don't think a lot of people, there's a lot, a lot of people out there who don't like head-to-head -head competition, direct competition, uh, winner take all. So we're now developing a new play method uh, for X Seekers of Fortune that'll use most of the same uh, resources, most of what comes in the box. It'll just be a play method that um, enables cooperative play where you and two to four other people can sit down and take on a, a rival who is not, you know, who's just a an NPC style rival. And that way y'all can all work together in order to defeat them and claim the treasure for for everybody at the table 
So we definitely know those people are out there. We know that they like a lot of people are combat averse. A lot of people are just, you know, competition averse. They a lot of people just love co-op. So we want to offer that in our game package and we're we're diligently working on it. We had some pretty awesome breakthroughs with it at our last play session, our play test. It's just a matter of now Danny and I are so busy doing everything else that's involved with making a game that it's harder for us to find play test times, which used to be abundant and the only thing that we had time to do. Absolutely. Well, let's talk about mm -hmm. some cards then. Okay. What are some of your favorite moments in the story that have been captured by the cards? Well, I've narrowed it down to 36. <laughs> okay. <laughs> That was for me. That was for me. Um, you know, it's there's 36 Action X cards, and each of them, we are down to like five, only five cards not having completed art or near completed art. So we are getting very close to having a full set. And I would say that some of my favorite card arts are the ones that have narratives that you can track across multiple cards. But I don't want to spoil those because we put them in there the easter eggs that tie certain cards together we put them in there for people to find on their own i would just say if you've played um the game or you can go and check out the art maybe look at green eye totem and merchant scale and tell me if you can see the story that's being told between those two cards so first mm-hmm I think it should be one of our advertisements, actually. I've, uh, we're starting to run ads for the game, and I'm pushing us to have, like, those two art pieces and then something, you know, underneath it, like, connect the dots or something like that. Um, Tell Boz to write me a script. I'll get it out there to the world. Okay, we'll, we'll, we'll get on that. Um, but I do want to specifically talk about, like, because some of the cards are also big character moments and some of the artworks. And so I told you about the characters of our story. So why don't I tell you about some of the character moments that they have? The first one is Leap of Faith. And that's an Ana Lucia moment. And this is a climactic moment of heroism where this character who this entire time has been like, you know, timid, like I said, playing it by the books, finally listens to her instincts, listens to her intuition. And she takes this dramatic leap over a lava pit, uh, like a lava river uh, to jump to the other side in order to, you know, um, help somebody. I don't want to say too much about what she's jumping toward, but just the fact that she's made this heroic jump, even as jericho stone you'll see in the background of the card jericho stone the hero you know the the traditional hero the manly man who's supposed to take care of these things he's like reaching out for it like no don't do that that's wild and crazy and no but she has it within her she has the eye of the tiger and she makes this wonderful leap so take a look at that card the second one i want to bring up is ancestral dream now let me plug here for a second ancestral dream is a card that won't come in the base game of X Seekers of Fortune. Ancestral Dream is our Kickstarter promo card. Not, not just a Kickstarter promo card, but a pre-reservation card. So if you want to see Ancestral Dreams, if you want to get your hands on Ancestral, Ancestral Dreams, go to xseekersoffortune.com and pay $1 to pre-register for our Kickstarter, and that will guarantee you a first edition copy of Ancestral Dream. Now, why I find this card to be so special is it's kind of the it's a Kaya's card, and it would be the card that would be like her first scene of the uh, story. And it's uh, her sleeping in a bale of hay and having a dream. And in this dream, she sees a, a maze. 
a green glowing maze and above the maze is a woman who looks very similar to her but you know is quite a few years older than her a woman in her like you know late 30s early 40s and she's almost like you know beckoning Akaya to the maze so like yet again can't say too much about everything that's going on there but it just tells a story and it's like and it's a little bit more uh, uh, abstract it's a little bit more dreamy uh, psychedelic even and I really love cards that have those elements so those arts so that would be the Akaya moment that I want to highlight and there's the last one that I want to go into is Jericho Stones and this is yet again this uh, so I did the climax for Ana Lucia but I did kind of the in introductory scenes of Jericho Stone and Akaya and Jericho Stones is called Unearth. And this card, I think the art kind of sums up what the world of X Seekers of Fortune is all about. There's mining and excavating magical discoveries. And in this card, you'll see that Jericho Stone is like going deeper into the mine than he has before, being followed by, you know, some of his, his uh, workers and helpers. And he's looking at a magical artifact that has just been revealed. And I'm particularly... Um, partial to this one because I worked really diligently with the artist to get the lighting of the card just right in order for, to give it this very Steven Spielberg-esque you know cinematic look to it so definitely check that card out and that moment is Jericho at the beginning of the story having like discovered more than he ever bargained for about the Arakai but this is right before his dreams are going to be shattered by Horus Hanger who's going to come down and basically kick him out of his own mind Got it. Yeah, no, I love that card. And yeah, um, Nate crushed it. It looks so good. Nate is, I think, you know, he has quite a quite a talent. We've been blessed to get like five or six talented artists. We just have to have like one episode where we just go art by art and talk about them and talk about the artist all together because they are all fantastic. But Nate definitely had had it in him to uh, create some very magical uh, scenes. Absolutely. Oh, Let's and just to give him to a shout out. Oh sorry. oh, sorry, just to give him a quick shout oh. out. He goes by Art of Night on Instagram. So if you wanted to join his army of followers, because he has quite the following on uh, Instagram that we did not know about until like just a, like months, just a couple of weeks or months ago. And we were, we once he posted one of our, uh, he shared one of our posts and all of a sudden it got like 10,000 views. And we were like, oh, Nate's, Nate's a big deal. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Mm -hmm. So let's get back to the theme of these cards and these relics. So on many of these relic cards, we can see that they can be played as either noble or ruthless when um, it enters play. Thematically yeah. in the game, where does this idea of noble versus ruthless come in in the story? So, yes, that was... You know, it's like one of those places where we came up with the idea like of the relics having those two modes of play very early on. And the story is, though, being born out of it. And I think we are going to be examining when those temperaments have their time and place. Um, I This might be, you know, the sentence that sums up the theme to our story. But I have often say to Danny is like, 
you know, a ruler or guardian must be noble until they know for sure that they must be ruthless. So for me, it's, it's kind of like examining, you know, we have, we have young characters who are like learning, you know, going on, you know, two of them are going on their very first real adventures. So I think it's going to be kind of examining, you know, how to balance those two things. Um, and of course we have our, the broker, our main villain, and he's not really going to be balancing those two things. He's just ruthless. So we, we, we hope we have something we, we, we plan on having, uh, something to say in the exploration of that as a theme. Um, right now it's still, it's still book baking, but we're really excited that we've kind of made sure that that's the promise that we have to deliver on. Okay, so we talked about it earlier, but one of my yeah. favorite cards is Ruckus Bazaar. Can you tell me a little bit more about this setting at the Bazaar and what key story elements take place here? Yeah, no, the Ruckus Bazaar is, uh, it is going to be quite the dynamic um, location in our story um it actually is already it's a site and it's the host to another site which is called uh diggers dugout um and it is kind of a port city it's the first place that Ana lucia steps out you know into the world of her adventure she arrives in this new country this new land and it is the city that she arrives into and it's going to be so important to our story and it's a key iconic location because it's going to be the place where our three main characters, Ana Lucia, Jericho Stone, and Akaya, you know, meet and bond uh, over their first mission. Um, and we imagine that it's going to, you know, while it might not, they're going to shortly after that move away from the location, we do hope that in a few, a few short scenes that we can make the place seem infinitely big, very much like uh, George Lucas was able to with Moss Eisley and the Cantina. Yes perfect that's exactly kind of what i was imagining because mm -hmm. it does it seems really cinematic on the card to me so that's awesome yeah and, and it's like one of those things like uh that's another art that i didn't bring up that i'm glad is being talked about because boban uh slobodan Jonovic, i might be saying that name wrong He's the artist, and he did such a good job of making it seem so alive. And, you know, when we're talking card art, you know, you're talking about like a canvas that's this big, maybe even smaller than that. Uh, anybody who's seen a match of the gathering card knows. And he was able to fill, fit in like just just the maximum amount of details for it to seem as as chaotic as it could. But we do think that if we get to the point where we're writing a comic book and releasing a comic book, that it's going to be even more uh, even more interesting, even more, uh, mysterious and, uh, chaotic. So we're, ju we're just really excited about like the possibilities of that location. We've really set ourselves up for something, uh, very interesting and, and dense there. On the horizon, can you give us any hints as to the flavor and setting further in stories and the expansions? Okay. Well, what I can tell you right now is our plan is that the first set of X Seekers of Fortune, the base set that you're going to be buying, that's covering the first half of a longer story. Uh, it's going to be the halfway point, the first major climax, and, and um, it's going to end with a big cliffhanger uh, right at the end. 
So what I can promise is on the horizon for the short term is we want to continue the story and complete the story with our first major expansion, which will be a multiplayer expansion that you're meant to combine with the base set and uh, so that you can, uh, what was well-suited for a one-on-one -on -one battle now will be well, excuse me, well-suited for a uh, at least four-player matchup. So where they're going in that story, well, uh, there's going to be a little bit of a shakeup where Akaya and Jericho Stone are going to have to travel across the world to the jungles of another continent. And they're going to be on a riverboat adventure going down into the heart of that jungle in order to find the other great, the other great um, what would you say, colony of the Arakai that had expanded out there. And they're on the search for the vault of the Arakai. At the same time, Ana Lucia is going to be in a battle of will and wits with the broker as he tries to manipulate the Arakai to become their, their ruler in another time and another place that they have found themselves in. Oh, okay. So it's it's going to be quite dynamic, and hopefully our friend the the, the, the three friends because they'll be friends by that point. Hopefully they'll be able to find a way mm -hmm. to save each other and bring themselves all together again. Awesome! I love it. Uh, yeah. I'm excited for also, Riverboat Jungle Time. Yeah, that's the thing. We where we found a we found a world or a, a style of storytelling that we can go and hit all those classic tropes that we just love. And we, we have ideas. We're definitely going to be doing something like uh, pirates and, and uh, you know, like big fish fishermen on the big, on the, uh, the high seas we want to do a modern urban city adventure and when i say modern i mean like you know the same modern of uh the first set of x seekers of fortune like the 1940s like jazz era city living uh you know we want to take our character some characters to the frozen polar tundra and have them look for mysteries out in the ice so you know we're, but hopefully by the end of this, by the time we are finished making X Seekers of Fortune, if we ever finish, we'll have thoroughly wrung our imaginations dry. Well, if I've, I, you know, I've watched so many animes and a common theme that happens is all of a sudden we're in space. So I cannot wait to see <laughs> the adventure where they eventually uh, go interstellar. I, I, I can only imagine it's going to happen because, like, you know, what, what did they say at the beginning of Star Trek? Space, the final frontier. Mm -hmm. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Awesome. Well, did you, well, Emmy, did you have any, uh, any more questions for me today? Honestly, I asked you so many. I think we've, I think we've truly allowed the questions to run dry. Yeah. Well, I mean, if you think of any, you know, feel free if you're watching this and you have questions for me or Danny based on this, you can always you can reach uh, us at our Megamoth Studios TikTok account or you can leave a comment below on this YouTube video. And you know what? While you're scrolling down, give us a like. And if you haven't already subscribe to us because you want to get that podcast when it's hot and fresh. 
that's going to be coming out of that oven sizzling just like a fajita plate um i would usually we do key takeaways but i honestly have said so much i don't even know what I the key takeaways would so be much. except for yeah i i think the key takeaway is x seekers of fortune has a story and we're really excited to share it with you and that story is going to be covering uh the adventures of jericho stone on lucia and akaya as they go up against the broker in a battle of wits to race to find the Arakai. I I forgot. I, I you said that you might be able to come up with something random today. Did you? Uh, I did. Did not. you think of anything? You did not. Okay. Well, so, we, so maybe something random just randomly doesn't happen this week. Which I was, you know, I was looking forward to not being tormented with Danny's sense of humor, uh, which is all that I needed for this week. Emmy, where you thank you for taking over as like the primary host of this episode, but I'm going to take the reins back and I'm going to do that by asking you, where do you want to be found? TikTok, instant Graham. Mm. Uh, I'm on YouTube shorts sometimes. And when I remember to post, I'm on threads, but of course I'm also very active on the X Seekers of Fortune Discord, so you can find me in all of those places across the internets. Very nice. And that's all under the same handle? Coral Pecan. Everywhere. Yes. Everywhere it's yes. Coral Pecan. That makes it simple. Everywhere it's Coral Pecan. Yep. Nice. All right. Well, you can find us. I mean, I would say, please come and join our Discord server, the X Seekers of Fortune Discord, and come out to Tuesday Night X. That's uh, every Tuesday from 8 p.m. Central Time to about 10 or so, maybe a little bit later if we're if we've had our uh, coffee and we're you know feeling rambunctious. We play X Seekers <laughs> of Fortune with our community, so we can teach people how to play and. Right now, if you stop by the next week and the week after, we are doing our first ever league. Uh, this is a league play of some of the best players who have come onto the scene so far, and they are battling it out to see who truly is the best amongst them. We just had our first round. Next week is going to be the semifinals, I believe. Is that correct? Yep. The semifinals, then, we're going to have two awesome matches um, going into the semifinals. And then the next week after that, we're going to have our final round for all the marbles. Yes. And the marbles, in this case, there are actual prizes at stake. I think $150 of uh, prize support TCG for the player. first place. Yep. Yeah. And then 50 and then... for second. Nice. Yeah. So the, the stakes yep. will be high and the drama will be going. And it's also a great chance to come out and get the early taste of what competitive X Seekers of Fortune looks like. Uh, and Danny and I, the creators of the game, will be uh, commentating or what is it called in uh, sports announcing? Commentating. Uh, I guess it's called commentating. Announcing. We'll be commentating, covering. <laughs> one uh, one of the the rounds uh, one of the games as they mm -hmm. are being played so you can come and hear our thoughts on how well the players are doing and what strategies we might uh employ if we were in their shoes with perfect information because we can literally see both players hands so it is a little bit yes. like uh uh 2020 vision all right yep emmy do you have all any right. last minute thoughts or uh comments to add no but where is my monkey? I You'll was promised a monkey. 
Well, I'm sure we'll find you a monkey companion soon. You know, you could get yourself a stuffed monkey and make it part of your, what'd you call it? Uh, adventure Sona? Adventure Sona? No, I totally will. Absolutely. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Well, this has been Emmy, and I have been Joel, reminding you that you must start somewhere. So why not here? Thanks for listening. Theme music by James Holden. Produced and edited by William Wymore. 